We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 414 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and also me being guilty that I didn't cross paths in Colorado, it's our financial expert, Patreon Mike Crimmins. Thanks for coming back, Mike. You bet, Dan. It's always great to be with you. So fortunately for you all, I guess, maybe, or unfortunately, Mike and I both have not had time, as people know, with my vacation. It was supposed to be time off. It's supposed to be time to work on things, but it wound up being a bit busier than I thought. So we didn't have time to delve into the financial report, but Mike and I will do that on a later show at a later time when things make more sense. But today we're going to be doing basically two big things, and that is discussing January transfers or the lack thereof and the reasons for that, as well as kind of getting into, you know, as World Cup content has been hit or miss a little bit. I will be del- we will be delving into the Spain match against Japan and all the you know, all the questions that have come up and the praise for Luis Enrique and the questions now of that Spain squad. We do begin though, if Spain had crashed out, we'd be beginning with Spain. But because Spain is going through second in the group, which we'll get to later, we're going to start with this January transfer window because again, the focus coming back on Barcelona kind of doesn't give us much to talk about because Mike both Juan Laporta and Jordi Cruyff have made comments to indicate that it would be better to sign in January for financial reasons, but it seems that the club is unable to do that. And so all signings will be in the summertime, but those signings might be hit with a four to one rule. So it's it's pretty interesting the way that they're kind of setting Kules up to be anticipating a little bit of transfer disappointment, both in January and the summer. Yeah, those 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 comments by both of them are a little hard to hard to parse because, you know, as you said, they, they said it would be better to sign in January because they're under the one to one. It might be under four to one rule again this summer, meaning they can only spend you know uh, one one euro for every four euros they bring in. But they also said, like you said, that, that there probably won't be any signings in January. I I personally doubt very much that we'll be back under the four to one rule this summer. And the reason I say that is I, I did take a glance at the annual report. And if you remember, the second part of the Sixth Street deal, the 15% sale of La Liga TV rights, are going to be on this year's books. And in addition to that, the annual report says that we've reduced gross debt through the, through the, 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 the levers by 125 million euros. And there's also been a significant reduction in, in payroll since last year. So, and, and, and PK is going to help that out too. We don't know exactly by how much, but that's going to help with that, uh, that payroll as well. So, I think that, you know, Laporta might be making these comments just as part of the ongoing war with Tebas. You know, it's, it's in Laporta's interest, of course, to suggest that any, you know, any lack of a return to greatness by Barcelona or any underperformance by Barcelona is not his fault. It's the fault of Tebas and the league restrictions. So it could be a little bit, a little bit more of that than, than reality. Yeah, I think with PK, certainly you're wondering what to say financial help that will mean, because I think getting into the deferred payments and things like that for him, you know, even though he's retired, is he still owed the the contract? It was a two-year deal through January or through June of 2024. And it's a gross of 29,000, or sorry, 29,500,000 euros, or what is per week, 567,000, which again, put him third in the, in the salary hierarchy behind just Frankie de Jong and Sergio Busquets, who are both above 700,000. And then Jordi Alba rounds it out with 400,000 
then jumping down to 268,000. This is per week, by the way, not gross, because those numbers we're talking 37 million for both Frankie and Busquets, and then jumping down to 29.5, as I said, for PK, and then it's Jordi Alba and Lewandowski at for I did miss Lewandowski, Lewandowski and Jordi Alba at 20 million plus for both of those. So those are the the salary questions we're asking about PK because yeah, I mean if if he's taking a what is it 29.5 million euro, not even deferment, but if he's just saying, well, all right, you know, I've retired, then I'm not, I, I'm no longer going to be asking for that money. I mean, yeah, of course, that's 29.5 million that the club is saving between now though and June of 2024. So it is again that two year deal that that uh, that that would be coming to fruition. So as far as that, I guess you kind of answered it. But as far as the PK situation, Mike, I mean, how how do you see that playing out? Do you think that's going to help, or do you think this is some kind of you know secondary benefits that might be coming? I, I mean, it will certainly help reduce the total squad cost. What we don't know is by how much. There's been a lot of reports over the last few years since the pandemic about about PK having given up, you know. Um, uh, salary or taking a reduction in salary to help out the club or because of the love of the club or whatever. But I, I think it's fairly clear at this point that he has not ever taken an actual pay cut. What he has done is deferred payments or renegotiated when he would receive payments. And it seems that he's always done that under terms that were beneficial to him. So in this instance, I know it's been reported that he he's going to continue to receive the deferred payments for for past years, which which I think makes sense but that he has given up the last 18 months of his contract. I'm a little suspicious that he hasn't given up all of it and that there's been some payment, you know, some negotiation, um, you know, of, of, a, of an exit payment or a bonus on the way out mm. uh, to get him to, to do this. So I do think it will be a significant benefit. I do think, I, 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 I'll tell you what I believe is I believe that we won't be paying him next year. I think that's probably gone and that'll be off the, that 29 million will all be off the books next year. But I, but I think we still owe him money that will be paid, you know, throughout the rest of this year. And maybe, maybe the club will decide to, you know, in, in, in negotiations with PK, we'll, we'll spread it out over, over more time, like sort of a Bobby Bonilla situation. No. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that, that's um, a New York Mets reference for everyone who's, uh, who doesn't follow baseball, but yes, yeah, so there's a New York Mets poster. It's not behind me. It's on the other side of the room, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bobby Bonilla. That's to what twenty thirty five or something like that. Yeah, um, he's going to be paid a million bucks in fifteen years. Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, it's going to help a lot, though, right? And and if Busquets leaves this summer, that's going to help a lot too. I know we'll talk about January. Maybe maybe somebody like Memphis leaves, and that that helps. So I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of payroll reduction that's happened, um, and probably some more that will happen in the next you know the the coming months, the last half of the season. So I'm not really buying this four to one rule. I I. I I would uh, put a marker down now that, that that's not going to happen. I do think Laporta's comments are interesting too, because it, it's almost the inverse of what he usually does. Usually it's he over promises and then to a degree kind of under delivers. And this time it seems like he's saying, well, I think we're going to disappoint you. And then when something might happen, I think uh, he's like setting kool aids up to be disappointed, which is something that usually he doesn't. Yeah, he's such an expert. Uh, he's such an expert politician you know, so he does do that. He does overpromise, you know, with uh, re-signing Messi and, 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 you know, whatever. But at the same time, you know, he takes every opportunity to blame someone else for whatever, you know, whatever's happened with the club. Of course, he blames everything on Bartomeu and the prior administration. And a lot of that's very fair. But uh, and, and, and right now his punching bag is Tebas and the league, you know, and, and those tensions got escalated this week with the the meeting, the, the league, the emergency meeting that they're going to hold in Dubai that, that Real Madrid and, and Barcelona are boycotting. Um, and also, I don't know if you saw this morning, I just saw news of a KPMG report that had been commissioned by La Liga, basically to say the Super League is going to destroy domestic leagues. So th there's a lot going on in terms of um, this, this battle, this war of words. And there's probably, we only see the tip of the iceberg and the 90% of that is probably happening behind the scenes. So yep. sometimes I think we have to look at these, these comments about, the, the league financial restrictions and, and how much Barca's hands are tied in the context of that ongoing battle. Well, yeah, and I think the change with Juve's bigwigs, the way it's it's playing out, I think that doesn't say the Super League is dead. Obviously, because it's the two Barcelona, it's the two Spanish uh, contingencies that are pushing that forward more even than in Juve. But Juve was that big triumvirate help, and financially they needed it and. It seems like Juve have kind of thrown their hands up 
uh, with with this this change that obviously they're putting forth. So you mentioned Memphis, though, a little bit lower stakes there. Now, Memphis does make around what, 10 million euros. Yeah, 10.4 million euros gross per year, 200,000 per week. And I think for Memphis, it's not say pretty cut and dry, but he was obviously injured for so much of the fall. And his World Cup SAS was questionable. But Netherlands looked at his medical report and said, okay, we'll figure this out. And then he winds up coming on as a sub in the very first game. So this isn't a Ronald Araujo situation. This is a Memphis was good enough for Netherlands. So comes on in the first game at the World Cup against Senegal. And then goes from there and is now featuring and a regular and expected to contribute at the World Cup. Now, obviously, I think Barcelona and the, and the, the Dutch national team both understand that if a player wants to play in the World Cup, it's going to push them a little harder to get back from injury as opposed, and they're going to sacrifice a little bit, you know, and, and play when they're 80% as opposed to a club wants you to come back at 100%, well, or at least, you know, 90% before you really feature. So I'm not surprised, obviously, that Memphis was good enough to go for the World Cup in a way that he wasn't for Barcelona this season. And it's not going back to the Umtiti situation, because I don't think, obviously, his injury is of that stakes. But I, you, again, you don't really blame the player. You blame the fact that the World Cup is happening in the wintertime, which is just, again, mm-hmm. we've, we've done this a billion times before, like not great. But yeah, I mean, Memphis leaving, it's not even a question of would it help? Because yeah, it would help a little bit. But I think it's more of that, should he be leaving? because of the depth of the squad and can Barcelona find a way out for him? It seems like the final answer there is yes. Like they might, they, they can find a way out for him. Should he be leaving? I think that's up to him and the club. And so I, I don't, I'm not really sure about this one, Mike. It seems too simple. It seems like Memphis isn't going to get time. He's a six forward and he's definitely not someone whose stock has cratered to the point where Barcelona can't move him on. It seems like he does have enough stock around other clubs and we're saying quote unquote big clubs as well where if Barcelona are saying yeah I mean I think you don't really the say need you and I think we have depth everywhere else then we can let you go and we'll find a place for you to be yeah I think this one makes sense I mean I I do think he should leave I'm glad he's playing because he's working himself back into match fitness and can kind of demonstrate you know that he's he's recovered from his injury or recovering and on track um, we may not get much of anything for him on the market you know he he wants to leave for free so he can maximize whatever new contract he gets. And, and I understand that he's, 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 he should use whatever leverage he has to, to make that happen. So like you said, it won't help that much with the finances, but you know, getting uh, his salary off the books for the next six months is, is not nothing. So, um, and, and, and I don't, he's not happy. So, you know, having an unhappy player on the squad is not, is never good either. And we have Ansu and Ferran on, on the left and middle there who, you know, they're, no, no matter what you think of Ferran, I know some people are, are are down on him, but those are those are young players that are part of our project that we're invested in for the for the middle and long term. Um, so I think Memphis is surplus to what we need right now, and and it would be better to get him off the books and and, and out of the squad. I think. So I think I I do expect him to leave. Um, he'll have suitors, and I think something will be worked out. Well, that's what makes, if Memphis leaves, you're talking about, and that's the case with January, you're talking about, I said it last January, but this year you're talking about just a little bit, a little bit of a help with transfer potentially being brought in. And obviously, Mike, you and I talked before this, and I obviously see your notes as well. And you're a little skeptical that even with Memphis leaving, transfer would would be coming into into the door. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, I really don't expect to see much this this winter. I mean, I mean that part of that's the the comments from from both Croy and Laporta, who said we're, we're really not going to do any any business this um, this winter. And also, I just don't see a really obvious candidate to bring in. It, it, you know, we could really use a right back in, in for reinforcement. I think I just don't think Bayerin is up to it. Sergio Roberto, you know, had, was playing well before he got hurt, frankly, but. We know he's not, you know, a first-rate starting uh, right back, and Kunde doesn't want to play there, right? That's not ideal for us to have Kunde. He can do it; he can do a good job out there, but that's not ideal either. But we can get through the the season like that um, if, if Araujo and Kunde are back. And, and it's nice to see, by the way, that Christensen and Kunde both working them way, their way back to, to fitness as well. Christensen's looked really good um, for Denmark. Yeah. He um, has. Yep. So, you know, and I just don't, I, I think I, I probably represent Kool-Aid's in this. I, I do not want another Band-Aid at this, at this position. We sign some mediocre middle of the road right back to, to cover the position again for the, for the rest of the year. I'd rather, you know, see a combination of, of um, Balde out there and Roberto and, and Kunde slash Araujo than, than go out and, and just get another um, patch there that then we have to somehow unload again this summer or next winter. So I, I like Arnaud Martinez. I know a lot of people do from Girona. I think there's a good chance he'll be part of Barca's squad next year, but I just don't see us prying him out of Girona this, this winter. And I don't really see any other really likely candidates there. Do you? No, I mean, there was a link a few weeks ago that I actually re-looked for. It was one of AC Milan's right backs and I could not, we find the link because it seemed to have vanished into thin air. That's kind of what we're talking about even here. All players that are leading towards free transfers, uh, even in the summertime, because again, they can begin to negotiate in January. So it it makes it a little easier. And Barcelona can even say, hey, well, if Memphis is off the books, then we have a little bit of something that we can throw at something, even call it a 1 million euro loan for six months. And then it becomes permanent. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen that a bunch of times before. You know, I think there are definitely ways to go about this. I mean, the same thing with if, if Frank Kessier leaves. Now you're talking about a different situation. If he were to return to Inter Milan or, or, or AC Milan or Serie A in some way. So, yeah, now you're talking about more salary. But as far as even who's out there, I think that is really the thing that interests me and why I tend to agree with you. Because, like, I, I made a, a list of a lot, the, the five players in the last few weeks that have been linked to Barcelona with the most ferocity. We've seen Arno Martinez, of course. That would be a return home, and that's creating a big narrative. I think mm-hmm. for a summer move that we are expecting. And then we've heard from 
athletic club. It is uh, Inigo Martinez. Whether Kules want him or not, I, we've talked about this with Levon. I would be very surprised if he doesn't arrive because he's on a free, has not renewed his deal. And you know the way with what works with athletic club. Either they re-sign for big numbers or they already pretty much are gone. So knowing that Inigo Martinez is probably already gone from athletic club, they're prepared to move on. That means he's leaving. And the only club really he's being linked to is staying in Spain and, and coming to Barcelona. So I would expect, whether you want it or not, Inigo Martinez is likely going to be a Barcelona player. I, I'd say almost high, highest percentage of any player out there. We'll say that's not at the club right now. And then the other... Uh, but in the summer, but in the summer, you're saying, right? Not not this yes, winter. Yes, in the summer, right. He'll finish yeah. out with Athletic Club. Again, he's he's even though he left for Real Sociedad and returned ho- home to the Basque Country. Well, no, sorry, he never left the Basque Country. But even though he returned home to Athletic Club, uh, it it seems like he's going to do his part, finish out the season with that club, and then move on for what's best for both parties, if you will. Uh, and then the other three players that have been linked, even in the last week or a few weeks, that uh, have made news indicate to me that there. Are, I don't think anybody's coming, right? Because that list, even for January, gets smaller uh, even before they move in the summer. So the example here is Andre Santos, the Vasco de Gama, uh, de Gama D-mid that been linked to Barcelona to be young Brazilian for a while here, is poorly going to Newcastle instead. So apparently that's already been signed or going to be signed in January for the player to come in the summertime. So again, that list keeps getting smaller and smaller. And then the other two players we're hearing are obviously, you know, head in the cloud stuff. Endrick, the Palmeiras teenager that I've, we've talked about, we've spoken about before, and Xavi even brought him up this week, which is just kind of bonkers. And that again, Xavi bringing up Endrick tells me that nothing is coming because <laughs> Endrick can't even come to Europe until he's eighteen in twenty twenty four. So you're talking right. a year and a half down the road anyway until he arrives. But it seems like with obviously everyone, I mean, Xavi's bringing him up because he, everybody wants him. I mean, PSG, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester City, it, you name it. Everybody wants a piece of this kid because he just seems to be, you know, the, he seems to be that unmissable Brazilian talent in a way that all the top clubs are looking to get his signature. And Barcelona know that they're in a bidding war that they absolutely cannot win, even if they're able to continue to rebound financially. There is no way they win this. They 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 had they do have to sell it on the fact that Neymar and Dani Alves and Ronaldinho and Rivaldo again players that Endrick has to Google at this point because again he's 16 years old that he's never heard of. So they're going to have to, they're really again beginning to work on that pitch in hopes. I think that that move for him doesn't come until 2024 and Palmeiras do kind of box everybody else out and say, Hey, Real Madrid, like we're not going to let you in January sign this player a year and a half early for whatever number is comfortable with you, because he's just going to get better over the next year. And that's why his relief clause is so high. Yeah. You know, just the fact that we're talking about Endrick right now and not more, you know, more realistic uh, new reinforcements in January kind yeah. of tells you what you need to know. In a normal year, we'd be hearing, you know, the 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 sports dailies in um, in Barcelona would be linking, you know, Barcelona in a in a in a January transfer to dozens of of players, you know, most of which yeah. are, are ridiculous, but they would be saying it. Now the World Cup has something to do with that. Because, or, just that? Neymar, or just Neymar. Or just Neymar, right. <laughs> I mean, the World Cup probably has something to do with that because they don't have as many um, pages to fill. By the way, Uruguay is up 2-0. Two, two the, uh, you know, so, but but we're not hearing much. There's So usually there's a lot of smoke and very little fire. Now there's not even much smoke. So I really don't expect there to be any fire in January. Maybe a little bit around the edge. Just like you said, if Kessie leaves, which I do think there's a small chance of that. He doesn't seem happy. Um, and we, we might want to, there was a, there was a report. I, I don't know how much credit to put in that, that we're shopping him around and asking for 10 million, but if he leaves, they were a little thin in midfield, you know, and I don't think, I don't think Xavi wants that. And I don't, I don't think he sees like Pablo Torre as ready, you know, maybe he trusts Alvaro Sanz, maybe not. But I think if we, if Kessie leaves, we'd, we'd be in the market to try to find someone to replace him. So I'm not sure that makes much sense either. And then the other one, of course, is Alba. You know, I, I don't think he's leaving, but we would allow him to leave in a heartbeat, um, even for free, I think, in January. If he if he wanted to, just to unload the last 18 months of his salary, this would definitely not be a footballing decision. Um, he's actually playing very well. He's having a great World Cup, but but I don't think Barca would hesitate um, just, to, just because of the financial benefits of that. That said, I, I don't think Jordy's going anywhere. I think he's going to play out the end of his contract through next season. But there's there's a small chance of that. Personally, I think the priorities here over the next few months rather than transfers should be, uh, well, one transfer, I think maybe Memphis 
leaving. I think that's one. And uh, getting Balde a new contract and getting that wrapped up for the long term and somehow, some way renegotiating Frankie's contract for the long term to get him sort of fit fitted into the new salary structure. And I'm hopeful that can happen. It, it seems like he wants nothing more than to stay in Barcelona for the long term. And, you know, I think that would be good for, for Barcelona too. And I, I, I certainly would like to see it. And I think Javi's coming around to that as well. Well, I, I did misspeak earlier in the show too. AC Milan right back. Well, that's actually Shajino Dest, but he's actually playing right wing, by the way, for AC Milan. But as a little side, uh, it wasn't AC Milan. I don't even remember who it was. But anyway, it was a player who's going to be on a free this summer who was linked as a right back to the club. And then speaking of the World Cup and players kind of taking stock, again, another thing that tells me that I don't think anyone's coming in January is the fact that Jordi Cruyff spent time in a press conference talking about Mohamed Kudas of Ajax and what he's doing for Ghana at the World Cup. I mean, he is, you know, I think because of 2014, it was only eight years ago, everybody's kind of like feeling the vibes of who's the the next James Rodriguez in this situation, mm-hmm. who's the young player that's breaking out. And as you and I have spoken about, and I've said on the pod, like, Looking at the World Cup rosters, I think it's because it's a winter thing. It seems like all the young talent that's to move has already moved in the summertime. And right. so I think a lot of the big expensive players already have homes. I mean, I mean, including Curtis with, with Ajax, because Ajax are still in the Europa League. They still have European competition. They're still doing their thing. And over the course of this year, he has gotten better. He has become, he's gone from kind of a name that you were beginning to learn last year to definitely in European competition with Champions League. I mean, he was Ajax's best player in multiple Champions League games, and he's been good for Ghana too. He doesn't really have a position, but it, I, who cares about that? Whether he's a forward or a midfielder, and I think Barcelona have, in the past as well, gone for those guys. You know, Antoine Griezmann obviously comes to mind. Is he a forward? Is he an attacking midfielder? And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It never worked out in the Messi area. Maybe it will after. And speaking of Messi, okay, this is my, trans- my long-winded transition, Mike. To talk about <laughs> Messi and Busquets, now, those Inter-Miami rumors popped up again and uh, were gone again within like 48 hours. But I think if there is at least something to the timing of the rumors, because it doesn't really help Inter-Miami at all, because Inter-Miami is currently out of season. And I could tell you that I know many don't follow MLS, but they got in trouble on their own with their salary situation and their designated player. Again, we're not doing that. It's a more complicated MLS thing than I, I, I would hurt the Barcelona podcast audience with. But they got into some hot water themselves financially, and they have kind of been punished, and they use this year to recover from it. But financially, yeah, it, it might be not this moment for them. The only thing, though, that does give me a little bit of pause, not necessarily in the case of Messi, but in the case of Busquets, is that he has said himself that he'd like to decide in February, which February is a really interesting month to make your decision on your future because it's when the European season is really revving up. And it's also the last month when the MLS season is still in their preseason. And they're still looking to not only sign their designated players for this season, but they're looking to sign their big contracts that will take, that will begin in the summertime. Mm -hmm. That's what's interesting to me that that third week of second week, third week of February is when those MLS contracts for those designated players are signed. Again, when we look at Frank Lampard, Pirlo, other players in their mid-30s who made that jump but did not arrive until the end of the European season. So timeline-wise, I think Messi and Busquets, it's a little bit different. And I I think Busquets, not to say I think he's moving to Inter Miami because he's also one of those guys where he's given interviews in English, but it seems to me very much like the uh, Iniesta route where I also wouldn't be surprised if he's... I mean, look at it. If he's on his way to Qatar, honestly, if he's on his way to Qatar in the summertime instead, and that's the decision that he makes and goes for a much larger payday than coming to the U.S. Though, unlike Iniesta, he's been linked to the U.S. quite a bit more. And, you know, David Beckham, the Inter-Miami project, I have no inside information, even though people know that I'm affiliated with the MLS. I have no information. But this is one of those cases where I think where there's some smoke, there is some, some fire. Not in the case of Messi yet, but in the case of Busquets, if it was Messi, Messi's going to own a portion of Inter Miami, and he's and financially he's going to shake up the MLS in an unprecedented way. But I also remind fans and Kool-Aid's that the MLS just did sign that big, to what two billion plus Apple deal, and the World Cup is coming to the U.S. in 2026. And even if Messi doesn't partake, it would behoove 
U.S. soccer in general to try to figure out how to make Messi, even if he's not, again, a participant, to make him use his image and make him a figurehead for the next World Cup, which, again, will be hosted in America. Yeah, absolutely. I want to throw that into Mexico and Canada. I don't want to I don't want to sure change them. But. Yeah, um, no, I agree with all of that. I, I do think there's a decent chance that Busquets ends up in Miami this summer. I don't think, you know, by the way, that we keep, Javi keeps mentioning, or, or they're, they're, the club keeps mentioning the possibility of re-signing Busquets. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think the club is ready to move on from that. But it helps Busquets, sort of a favor to Busquets to say that, right? If he's negotiating with anyone in Saudi Arabia or Qatar or with Inter-Miami or, or, or wherever, um, it helps him in those negotiations to have the possibility of him re-signing with Barcelona out there. Uh, but, you know, there's the, the Busquets-Miami thing has been around for a long time. And, and like you said, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think that there's a good chance that happens. I just don't think Messi will make a decision until after the Champions League this year. If he's still at the top of his game at the end of the year, and, um, and he, he's obviously been one of the top maybe five players in Europe so far this year, and they come close to winning the Champions League but fail, I think he's going to want another shot at that prize. But this is just my, my own speculation on that. So I, I just don't. He may go to Inter Miami this summer in a blockbuster deal, you know, uh, which would be which would be pretty amazing because, I mean, he's not in his prime, but he's still he, he's still messy at this point, and that would be you know an absolute coup for MLS. But I just don't think he's going to make any decision until till the end of the year. I also think he's probably taking a look at this Ronaldo situation, and he doesn't want that to happen to him, right? Uh, like I think Messi's always been a more graceful person than Ronaldo. But to see this, the, the Ronaldo situation, and just sort of aging without any grace whatsoever. So I, I think Messi might look at that and say, oh, that's not going to be me if it ever, if it ever was, you know, I just, I just think he's a different person that way. But I, you know, I, I just think that Messi is going to make a decision at the end of the season, whether he's up for another year of European football or wants to move on. Yeah, I think the World Cup is also going to play a big part. If Argentina win the World Cup, he did kind of check all the boxes. But I, I do think this, the Inter Miami, the power of those Inter Miami rumors, and I know Messi's camp came out and immediately denied it. But now I'm getting the sense that he will return to Barcelona someday. But I don't think it's going to be as a player. I think we're, that that is kind of coming to shape that either he tries it again with PSG and runs it back again with Mbappe and Neymar, or he kind of says, "Yes, it's time for the next chapter of my career." But as you said, it, it, what makes it so interesting and still puzzling is just how good he has been in Europe and then here in the World Cup as well. So, okay, so speaking of the World Cup, last segment here, we were going to do some Pep Guardiola stuff, but I think people get it that I, there's, again, Pep, Pep's just talking. Pep's out of the, it's, he, he's out of the cycle, and he always says the same thing. And I think we believe him as well, that if he were to return to Barcelona, it's because the club needs him. That was what he said. If he's needed at the camp, no, then he'll return. And I, I will say as well, I do not think that is... As a, as a manager, I think someday Pep will return, quote unquote, home. Well, not really even home. Yeah, I mean, that's where he literally is from. <laughs> so he will return home in some capacity. And very much, oh, so I would say not very much, but unlike Messi and Iniesta, he's going to have to be involved. He's going to have to be touching something, whether that's as some kind of sporting director or whatever it may be. Guardiola is going to have to be involved. But I think that is someday down the way. All right. So keeping the, the context of Spain as well, I will have a piece on the World Cup coming out literally today. I'm, gonna, I'm planning on filming it after this. So this is probably going to be coming out first or the video. Either way, whatever you saw first, you can watch that. And it kind of pairs nicely with this conversation here. Talking about yesterday's Spain game, because I think it does bring up some questions about Barcelona. And people were already through two games after the draw with Germany, which was, I don't take anything away from either team for that draw. Spain v. Germany was, to me, the best, highest played game in this entire World Cup. It was just, it was a, a pleasure of a match to watch for both sides. Uh, and then prior to that, it was a 7 nothing domination of Costa Rica. So, of course, people were on the hype train saying, hey, Luis Enrique, Spain, it's basically an upgrade of Xavi's Barcelona. They're playing the way that, that Kules want Barcelona to play, and everything is working. And then yesterday happens, and Spain lose 2-1 to Japan. I mean, they weren't the only big powerhouse that lost to Japan 2-1 when, when Japan came, made second-half adjustments. And wound up upsetting a giant because Germany just had the same thing happen less than a week ago. Uh, so not to say that lessons weren't learned by, by big European powerhouses. But it seems like Spain found a way to lose the exact same way we expect Barcelona to lose. Mm -hmm. And that is not to say they get complacent, 
but to have a little bit of difficulty with the pressure we expect them to deal with. And then for Japan to overtake them in a second half on counterattacks. And then all of a sudden you've lost a big match when you controlled the match, you had your chances and you're wondering why, why didn't we win that? Now for Spain, I think unlike Xavi's Barcelona in the Champions League when their backs against the wall and they need those wins, Spain finishing second. Now they've got, I mean, a very tough Morocco team who's, I mean, arguably been the best defensive team in the World Cup. I think they've been, not to say a darling in that way, but I mean, Morocco is a really solid team that, and also when you're talking about the World Cup, we're talking about if there's teams that Morocco wants to beat, it's definitely Spain, it's definitely the Netherlands, and it's definitely France. Like those are the, the three clubs that Morocco players are probably like, I would love to see those guys weep a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to me that the narrative changes, obviously with the World Cup, by the minute, by the game. I mean, imagine you and I were texting yesterday while Costa Rica for four minutes were going through with Japan and Spain and Germany were out and we're like, oh, I think we've changed our lead. I think we've changed the main topic and we're going to spend the whole time talking about how Spain crashed out of the World Cup. So narrative changed so quickly and I'm wondering if Spain doesn't recover from that Japan loss, right? As they go on a run on that non-Brazil, non-Argentina side of the bracket and then all of a sudden the narrative shifts shifts again in by what, Monday when they play next or Sunday whenever they play next? Yeah. You know, that match yesterday, I don't know if you had the same feeling. It reminded me so much of the uh, Barca Inter match at Camp New this year. In control in the first half, take a one nothing leading to the break. Everything seems on, on cruise control. Give up a goal early in the second half, kind of crumble after that. Give up another, you know, sort of in the shock of that. Give up another goal real quickly and then just never get control of the game again, really. So it, it seemed a lot, people talk about how they would like Barca to be more like the the Spain team. But I think we saw yesterday how sometimes this Spain team can be a little bit too much like Barca. I don't know. I think I think for Spain, I think just as an aside, I, I think it might have worked out quite well for them. And it seemed to me, I don't know if you had the same feeling, but once Germany scored to go ahead on Costa Rica, and then Costa Rica needed two goals in the last 10 minutes to 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 knock Spain out, it seems like Spain pulled back at that point and they were content to finish second. Not only did they get Morocco instead of Croatia, and again, not to knock Morocco, but at this stage of the World Cup, experience matters a lot. And that Croatia team looks very solid to me and, and has a lot of experience. I think you'd rather have Morocco than, than, than Croatia any day of the week. And it also does put them on the other side of the bracket from Brazil, where they, who they would have met in the quarterfinal had they advanced. But they also don't get France who's the top team on that side of the bracket till a potential semifinal matchup. So I think the positioning is a lot better for Spain having finished second than first. Not that that's what they would have intended to do going into the game, but I think it's worked out fine. And you get a little bit of that wake up call, you know, maybe that, you know, that most world cup champions see have a close call during the, during the tournament, usually in the knockout stage, but something to sort of wake them up and shake them up. So uh, maybe it'll all turn out for the best for Spain, but I also don't necessarily draw too many conclusions from, you know, from, you know, from the internet, the international game just strikes me as so much different than, than especially in La Liga, but also in Champions League, there's just so much space available in the, in, in this, in this, nobody is, nobody's playing uh, a low block, you know, and just, uh, it's just, everybody's out there playing, you know, so, and everybody seems to play the same way and it, and it creates these incredible open, open games, you know. Um, that we're just not going to see in in La Liga that much, and and frankly, in the Champions League, every club in the Champions League is just better than every every national league yeah. club just just because just because of the way clubs are assembled and how they get to work together all year long. And there is one player to, to to prove that point, Mike. One player in this entire World Cup, it is Sergio Des. Watch Sergio <laughs> Des with the U.S. Like understand that AC Milan, who has him on loan has made him a right winger this year. He's not a right back. He's a right winger because AC Milan's like, oh, this guy cannot defend at the level we need him. We have to push him up the field. But for the US, he has looked like one of the best right backs in the entire tournament. He has looked great. He is getting upfield. He is having an impact in the final third. And defensively, it's been hit or miss, but the US defensively have been still the US, very much like Morocco. They have been a unit defensively. They've been putting stuff together. And while offensively you have some questions about them, again, defensively they've just been good. Uh, and Sergino Des has been their starting right back, right? So it's like yeah. he, he really, to me, sums up the, the disparity with that initial game, which, again, does 
if anything, extrapolate on the red flags for Luis Enrique Spain being caught in the counterattack. But as you said as well, all of these giants do get punched in the mouth a little bit. I mean, France just lost to Tunisia, one nothing. And I was saying this, uh, a U.S. friend of mine, as we're watching these games, Greg Berhalter of the U.S. men's national team is constantly getting a lot of hate on the internet. They don't like his tactics. They don't like his second half substitutions. But the U.S. didn't really have like a bummer of a game in the way that France just lost to Tunisia. If the U.S. had, like, imagine if the U.S. had already qualified and then wind up losing in that final game to Iran, right, in some way. If they had already somehow qualified through whatever, through England, and they had beaten England or something. And then they wind up playing a dud. I think all American fans would say they're out. And I think all these teams that are not favorites, their fans, obviously, it is cataclysmic when they don't get uh, necessarily the results that they're looking for. When it comes to, again, the big giants, Argentina already lost to Saudi Arabia. And a reminder, too, that why club stuff is different than the international stuff, because things can change very quickly in one game in a way that you see over the course of a season. Now, it, it was interesting with the Jekyll and Hyde of Barcelona in the Champions League and the Liga this year, because we saw they have their struggles in the Champions League, and then they go out with a Frankie de Young, Gabi, Pedri midfield, and they smack Villarreal by a, a ton of goals. And then that, what was it? That weekend, I think it was, Athletic Club, they smack them around too. And they have this awesome week. Then it's back in the Champions League for more disappointment. And they be, they turn back into the pumpkin that they were in the Champions League to get eliminated by Inter. So things do change in the the season, but like Barcelona's La Liga form has been very consistent. And their Champions League foibles have been consistent this season. In a way, the international football, the Argentina that lost to Saudi Arabia is not the same Argentina that won the group just three games or just two games even later. They mm-hmm. figured things out. And now Argentina, once again, strength to strength, look like a favorite on that side of the bracket. Now, last thing, Mike, for you is the Ansu Fati stuff. He did come on against Spain, which did kind of change our notes a little bit. Wasn't able to really feature. But I think for Luis Enrique, you understand why it's Nico Williams instead of Ansu. Nico Williams looks a bit more fit. He's been very good in this World Cup as well. And he's also coming in on the right as opposed to on the left, where Ansu has to play on the left and plays through the middle, and Nico plays on the right. And in this tournament, Luis Enrique is prioritizing prioritizing uh, Marco Asensio in those positions and Danny Almo and Ferran Torres in those positions. And again, Nico coming off the bench. And Spain is one of those teams that is not completely using their whole bench, especially because their third match mattered. Obviously, their third match mattered, so he wasn't able to rotate the way that France and we expect Brazil to do later today. And there are... S- what six other players who still have not even played because uh, Pau Torres got to start yesterday. Ansu comes off the bench, but Robert Sanchez and David Araya have not played. Yuko Guillamon for Valencia has not played. Pablo Sarabia, the experience guy is like, where the heck in my minutes? And then Yuri Pino, the other young player, the, the player for Villarreal, who you could argue has been better this season. Well, actually was better last season than Ansu, but has kind of also regressed a little bit to the mean as we expect young players too. I think he's still, what, a teenager, 20 years old. And then Eric Garcia has also not played even a single minute. Mm-hmm. So Luis Enrique has kept his bench small. Some guys had to be picked. And I think we're really just talking about Nico Williams or Ansu Fati. But the fact that they play on different wings, I-, I think that's kind of the answer, unless you've got something else for me. Well, I think, I think Ansu's role on this team is you need a goal late. You throw him on. And see if he can if he can create that magic moment. And they just haven't really had a game like that until yesterday. So they're up, you know, seven nothing in coast against Costa Rica. And I think he used that opportunity to get you know different people on the field that may not play a significant role going forward. And then the second game against Germany, they give up the late you know tying goal, but then were I think fairly content with the draw. So yesterday was the first game where you know I think it made sense for Ansu to come on in the way that Luis Enrique intends to use him. So I, I don't know. It, I wish Ansu was playing a more major role because I was hoping this tournament could be a confidence booster for him. Like he got that goal against uh, in the friendly they played before against uh, Jordan and was hoping that would propel him into a, into a larger role in the national team. And he could score a goal or two at the world cup and come back and be the Ansu Fati that we hope he's going to be. But he's just, I just, you know, at this moment, he's not there yet. I hope he does get back to that. But, you know, I think we have to just be realistic about it right now. And, and he's not, he's just not first choice on, on Spain. And frankly, he's not first choice on, on Barcelona either. 
but I, I, you know, I think we all hope he will be soon. Um, so I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I think Barca fans watching the world cup are probably disappointed in the role he's playing and seems to, to, to be going to play through the, you know, as long as they're in it, but it is what it is. Well, yeah, I read a piece today or yesterday about how Ansu returning to Barcelona in this fashion, having not really made the progress he wanted to at international level would hurt him at Barcelona. But, you know, I do kind of roll my eyes this season and I know we're already pretty much halfway through, but I, for Ansu, him being on the field and being healthy and being able to finish this whole season healthy to me was much higher on the priority list than what he was able to contribute for both club and country. The fact that he's on the Spain roster considering where he was at in August is pretty incredible, to be honest. The fact that Luis Enrique selected him anyway, and to come back to Barcelona, listen, if he scores five goals in the second half of the season, or at this point, even four goals in half the second half of the season, well, I'm going to go five. I'm going to go five or six for Ansu, because I think he's four now. So if he gets 10 goals on the season in a year where really, again, the question was, can you recover? How are you looking? What's going to happen for you in the future? To me, it's kind of a, a net positive. I mean, he just turned 20 in October, at the mm-hmm. end of October. So he's just been 20 for a, a month and a few days. And he's still such a young player that just getting him physically right and getting him mentally right. I mean, expect over the course of many players' careers, there to be highs and lows and ebbs and flows. And for me, this is, I think, almost, you know, if, it's, if we were writing a story of Ansu, he, there was that, that falling action where you were worried that it was time to do a bit of a eulogy. We, I mean, I was doing it on the podcast, a bit of a eulogy to Ansu's knees and to what he could have been. And we said goodbye. It's like, you know, he's still a player, but we almost said goodbye to what his potential was. And I think there was obviously a rock bottom where you went, oh, this guy's just not on the field. He's not healthy. Will he ever be healthy? And this Ansu we're seeing this year, I'm hoping is a, a, a rising action again. And that he is kind of figuring out how to be himself and, I think it's totally fair that mentally he doesn't fully trust himself. He doesn't know where he's at. And a reminder too, that he is still just 20 years old. And yeah. I mean, his brain is still that of just a budgeting teenager who got very, very famous at 16. And, you know, so we don't know where he's at mentally, where his confidence is. And I think his confidence, obviously, again, where he was a professional at 16, he's expecting to start for Spain at the World Cup. I think that is what his expect- expectations are. We know that he has a super agent. That's what his agent's expectations are for him you know and i i think for ansu it's about taking it step by step and i think the people around him try to help him do that and also with spain very much like all of these other quote-unquote big big teams that are still there and i actually almost take him in rafinha even though rafinha has been starting if brazil were to win the world cup there's going to have to be a rafinha moment or two and for spain to win the world cup you get the sense that there's going to have to be a half of an ansu moment Maybe not a full Ansu moment, but you're definitely going to need another Ferran Torres moment. Though I do worry about Ferran Torres that he already had his moment, that his came against Costa Rica in that 7 nothing, and that Ferran Torres might not have another moment for you. But as I said, with all of these big, these big teams, with the exception maybe of Argentina, where you're kind of expecting just a messy moment, because they only need now, what is it, four more messy moments, and then Argentina won the World Cup. But for Spain and for Brazil, if Neymar is not healthy, you're going to need a moment from more than one player if you're going to win this tournament. And France, again, the other, maybe other exception, where they're just going to need four Mbappe moments and they win. Everybody else, who's going to take you over the line? Yeah, those are all good points right, about Ansu. And I do think Luis Enrique took him in part, not because he, he, he thought he was going to play an important role, but because he, he sees him as an important player for the national team over the next decade. Yeah, he wanted him to have this experience and feel part of the you know, feel part of the team and not have to wait another four years for that. And, you know, Ansu will get his chances in the spring. He's going to play a lot more just, just by virtue of us having, you know, we have the Copa del Rey, we've got the Europa League, we've got, you know, we've got to go to Saudi Arabia and play that tournament again with the Supercopa. So there, the games are just going to, and we're not halfway through, right? We're, we're, we're not even halfway through La Liga season. So we have more games crammed into the second half than usual. So the games are going to come fast and furious and everybody's going to have to play a part. So Ansu will get more regular time. Hopefully he grows into it, grows into the season. And and I agree with you that it's much more important for him to get through the season healthy and having regained some fitness and confidence than it is for him to be a superstar. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite things, of course, is going through old World Cup rosters, at least from the last like 
you know, my lifetimes, the last 20 years or so. And looking at the players that you're mentioning were brought as young players because they were going to potentially play a role in the future. There are some really, really fun names on those lists, even for, again, our US-based listeners. I mean, Nick Diskarud, and who is still playing as a professional. He's, I think he's just turned 30 or in his like, late 20s. And then Julian Green is still in his mid-20s. He's still in his mid-20s, having been at the 2014 World Cup. Right. So those are just two fun names for, for again, nuggets of fun for the... Uh, and scored a great goal. So maybe Ansu can have the Julian Green moment, but we hope he, has, he doesn't have Julian Green's career afterwards. Well, okay, but Julian Green was working his way up to Bayern Munich, and Ansu Fati's already played for, for 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 Barcelona. So even if Ansu like retired in two or three years, I think his ceiling or the peaks he already hit has been pretty high, uh, higher than Julian Green's. But anyway, it, it, but that's not it's the case everywhere. Like Uruguay have done it, Brazil have done it. There's those players who're like, wait, who is that? And you have to Google them, and you're like, oh, they were 21, 22 in that year, and the the career they had was not the one that they wanted to have. Again, Germany's done it. Like, there's just so many examples. So look at those rosters. So I've given you some homework. I've given you something to do. But Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show again. You'll be making an appearance in not too long because again, we do have that that financial annual report to to, to get to get through and dig in. And you even told me that. I, I thought we had made a pact to not look at it. And you, you even <laughs> took a peek anyway. So <laughs> I, took, I took a peek. I haven't had time to dig in. You know, with the World Cup going on and the holidays, you know, it's a busy time. So um, and I like to, it, it's actually one of those documents that really, really takes a lot of time to dig into. Yeah. Understand. I know, totally understand. With all these gifts that you got to give for the holidays, I spend more time looking at our current financial report and seeing what we can afford and figure out than actually looking at Barcelona. So, well, I think that will wrap it up. Uh, another edition of the show. Again, that is Mike Crimmins, one of our, I, I mean, one of my most useful and helpful Patreons as well for a lot of different reasons coming on the show. We are on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, Hilton D13 for me, Close Chaser Group, Patreon, as I said. I mean, again, the relationship that Mike and I were able to build was because of the Patreon, of course. So I just want to, that, that's the whole Patreon pitch. And then we're on YouTube as well. Uh, as I said, I have a video, either it's come out today or it already came out before the video. I'm not sure what the, the schedule is going to be. It depends on how, how well the recording and stuff goes. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.